0: How's it going, everyone? All right. Well, like Michael said, my name is Joel. I'm the small groups pastor here at True Life Church, and I love that. It's a new role for me. I've been doing it since the beginning part of this year, but I love it. I love our small groups. At the end of the message today, I'm going to actually be able to have the chance to tell you guys the small groups that are going to be happening this semester. They start next week, and uh, I'm really excited about them. We got some good groups, some good leaders. And uh, how many of you guys have been in a small group before True Life? Can I hear you? because I can't see you. So, all right. So you, if you've been in one, you know what it's like. You know that it's great. It's life changing. And so I'm excited to get those going. Uh, how many, how many people were here last week? Let me hear you again. How many people were here last week for Michael's message? Woo! All right. That's yeah, like the noise. Woo! All right. Uh, so, uh, so last week, Michael talked about living for joy beyond ourselves, right? And in that, uh, he did a few things at the beginning to kind of lighten things up and joke around a little bit. He Talked about things that brought him joy, and then he showed us old pictures of himself. Do you remember this? Anyone? If you weren't here, you can go listen to it. You won't get to see the pictures, unfortunately. But he showed us some old pictures of himself when he was like a band geek and things like that, right? And, uh, and then he talked about selfies for like a good portion of the message from what I remember. Um, and so we declared it Selfie Sunday, and, uh, and we talked about selfies. So I was thinking, what could I do to kind of follow up to that in today's message? So I thought... Old pictures, selfies, things that will make you guys laugh. What if I brought old selfies uh, of myself? Because uh, here's the thing to all the teenagers who thought they invented selfies. You didn't. Uh, they've always been around. Uh, the difference is that uh, when I was a teenager and we were doing selfies, we didn't have a name for it. They were just called bad pictures, and, uh, and you didn't see them until you developed them. So you, uh, you took it with your disposable camera, and you had no idea how it looked, and you put it in the envelope, and you dropped it out in the box, and you came back three days later or paid the extra $3 for the over night and, uh, or the hour or whatever it was. And, uh, and then you got your selfie later, right? And you only took one because if you took a bunch of selfies, like that was your whole role and you only got like 24 and why waste them on yourself? Now, like if I could see your camera roll on your phone, it's probably like you're holding burst mode and just, you know, it's all over. Uh, so I thought I would share a few, uh, pictures of myself from back in the day. So, uh, Todd, you can throw the first one up. All right. So this is me at 14 years old. Um, Guys, if you're, if you're looking for fashion tips, here they are. Smurf hair, right? Blue hair. Uh, that shirt is not a Reese's shirt. It actually said Jesus. So lots of people led to the Lord by that shirt. Uh, uh, and, so, so, and you got to get the, the dog chain, you know? Um, so that's me, 14. Uh, so before we throw the next one up... Um, you know, this, this next one, because this one really isn't a selfie because I didn't take it myself. So there are some in here that are me actually taking them. Um, I did ditch the blue hair in this next picture. However, I bleached my hair, um, which I didn't, I didn't go and do it somewhere. I just heard that if you put peroxide in your hair and leave it for a long time, it would bleach your hair. Um, so I did that, and then I cut it in an interesting way. So, Todd, show him this selfie of me. So this is, at, um, this is at 16, I think, 15, something like that. I had a mohawk for a while. Um, I was into the whole punk rock deal. And so, uh, so my dad hated this haircut, right? Like as soon as I had it, he was like, you can't live here and have that haircut. Um, I tested him on that. And sure enough, he did let me live there. Um, and I think just because I was starting to grow a little bit in size, he couldn't hold me down and cut my hair. So, uh, so I got to keep that haircut for a while. Uh, but eventually, I honored my dad's request. You know, could you cut your hair? I'm, I'm sick of hanging out with my son who has a mohawk. It looks ridiculous. Uh, whatever. So like any good honoring son, I cut it, I cut it, you know, I just, you know, just show him the next picture, right? So I took a, I took uh, his shaving cream and his razor and, and I said, yeah, hey, I cut my Mohawk off and I showed up at church that day and he was like, put a hat on. And so, uh, so, so um, I don't remember what this next one is, Todd, if you could throw this next one up. Oh, that's not me. Oh, uh, uh, I don't know how this got in here, but this is, uh, this is our Sunday morning experience director, Brian Schaefer. It's a selfie, all right? It's not the proper, I guess, angle because it's supposed to be above your face, but that's Brian Schaefer and that's my little brother Jordan uh, taking a selfie because that's what we did back then. This is like 2002, I think, or 2001, something like that, and... And, uh, you can see they're awesome. So, uh, and then, and then before the next one goes up, I know Michael said he was a band geek. And so he showed you his band geek picture. I too was a band geek. Maybe you didn't know that, um, played an instrument throughout high school in band. So I'll show you guys my band picture. You can throw it up, Todd. Right. So that's my band picture. Um, you can tell not a lot has changed, uh, in the way I play bass other than my haircut. Cause there I had, I think that hair went about my shoulders, uh, So all in all, my wife was really embarrassed that I was going to show these. So I have to apologize to her. She was like, these are terrible pictures. Don't show them in public. And I just did. So this is not a message on marriage. Uh, So anyway, uh, let's get into Philippians. Uh, We've been coming back uh, in Philippians to this verse from chapter four each week. And it's Philippians four, four. Maybe, you know, it. if you do read it along with me, it says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Yeah, let's try it again. I, I heard a few of you and, and now maybe you feel awkward and left out. So let's everyone, let's read it together. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. I love this verse. This is a great verse. Uh, it, it's, it's a command from Paul to a church to rejoice. And, and what I love about this is that it, 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 it conveys this truth that I feel like God put in my heart, around 18 or 19 it conveys this truth that joy is a choice it's a choice and and i've had to come back to that over and over and over since i learned that that joy is a choice the reason i know it's a choice is because paul the holy spirit speaking through paul would never command god's people to do something that they have no control over that they have no ability to do that that's not how God rolls like he doesn't tell us to do things that we could never do uh, in the New Testament here. And so Paul wouldn't have told him to do something out of the control. So he wouldn't say something like always have a good day, right? Because that's not in our control or he wouldn't say always make sure circumstances are awesome for you. He, He wouldn't say, you know, what, be happy about everything that happens to you. None of those things are realistic, and that's not what Paul is saying here. Instead, he commands them to rejoice. And I want to go ahead to today's chapter. We're going to be in Philippians 3 and talk through this same sentiment that he opens up chapter 3 with. So if you'll go with me, if you have a Bible or a phone or something with a Bible on it, uh, grab it, go to Philippians 3. We're going to start in verse 1. He says this Finally, my brothers, and I'll already stop there. Listen, uh, how do I know Paul's a pastor? Because he has all of chapter three and all of chapter four left to write, and he thinks that he's wrapping up. So he says, finally, my brothers, and then he writes two more chapters. Uh, it's just throughout the ages, this is how pastors do. So as I wrap up, guys, let's go back to uh, Philippians chapter three. That was a joke. Jeff got it. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate your laughter. Uh, so finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe to you or for you. So again he commands not suggest that we should rejoice in the Lord. He goes on to say it's no trouble, it's no problem for me to keep talking about this. Literally it's safe for you for me to keep talking about how we should rejoice in the Lord. Some versions would say that it would safeguard your faith to keep talking about this, to keep rejoicing in the Lord. So the big idea here is that circumstances which often produce happiness They'll fluctuate greatly throughout our life. But the Lord will remain consistent. And if we do our rejoicing in the Lord, which our rejoicing is just the expression of joy that's in our heart, then our joy will be consistent. If we rejoice in our circumstances, our rejoicing will fluctuate greatly. If we rejoice in the Lord, our rejoicing will be consistent. Paul goes on throughout this chapter to tell us that if we want to rejoice in the lord if we want our focus today's message is called joy's focus if we want our focus to not lose sight of that to not lose that rejoicing that we really have two pitfalls that we have to avoid there's two things that could kind of pull us off course from this rejoicing from having that joy in the lord and, and the two pitfalls we could call them a few different things i've heard different labels for them one you could say one is legalism and the other is license one is religion the other is irreligion uh it, We'll we'll dig into this and you'll see that Paul is very passionate that there's really these two things that could pull us away from that focus, from that rejoicing that we're to have in the Lord. So Philippians 3, let's go to uh, verse 3 through 6. He says this, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I'm going to stop there for just a second because I feel like whenever there's phrases like this, we need some context. Because if I called someone a dog Or an evildoer, that would be offensive. Now, if I called you a mutilator of the flesh, it would just be confusing. Um, Like, I don't think anyone here would be like, oh, I totally get what he means, calling that guy a mutilator of the flesh. Like, that just sounds weird. Um, uh, Yeah, it sounds like those guys that do all the weird piercings and, you know, hang themselves from the hooks and all that. I don't know. I watched a documentary on Netflix. It was gross. Uh, So... um, That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is in the first century, uh, the church was spreading and it was growing. And a large population of Christians during that time came from the Jewish faith. And what they could not get their heads around was that coming to Jesus and believing in him and having faith in him was enough to be in right standing with God. And so what they did is they said, yeah, Jesus has come to set us free and he loves us and he makes a way to God. But, We need some of the laws that we've had before to really be good. So, yeah, Jesus, but also let's make sure we eat this certain way. Or, yeah, Jesus, but let's make sure the men are circumcised and no one said amen. Uh, Jesus plus, you know, and this was their mindset. Jesus plus this will be salvation. I heard one pastor say, Jesus plus anything ruins everything. And that's what Paul's going to convey here. He's so passionate that he's, he's insulting to these people. He's saying, you know, what? no, you can't add anything to Jesus. To do that makes you a dog. It makes you an evildoer. You're not doing something good. You're not just adding something that's neutral. You're actually doing something evil by adding to the grace of Jesus. And so he says this. We'll, we'll keep going. Uh, I guess now it's verse 3. That was verse 2. I apologize. It says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is that, you know what, they're missing the point. Even though some of you in the church aren't circumcised, you actually get it. Like you actually are connected with the Spirit of God. Uh, And we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which was a big deal to them, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was sort of an elite tribe. A Hebrew, of Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I want to pause here. I want, I want you to catch what Paul just said. He said this phrase, as to righteousness under the law. What's the word there? Blameless. Let that sink in for a minute. Would any of us look at the Old Testament law and call ourselves blameless? Right. I wouldn't. Right. I mean, I think most of us, if we're honest, would say the Ten Commandments were pretty challenging in the past 24 hours. But the Old Testament had over 600 laws. And Paul's looking at that and saying, I was following it so strictly. I was blameless. Okay. So is Paul bragging? Is he proud of this? Is he saying, you know what? I was so perfect. I was blameless. I was awesome. And it it made me right with God. Is, Is that where he's going? I want to keep reading. Right on into verse 7. This is what he says. Right after that. Right after he calls himself blameless according to the law. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Yeah, I love this. Like, I don't even have to preach. I can just read. It's, it's, it's so good. Like, I love reading Philippians 3. It, it gets me every time. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I want to set up here is that Paul, there's different types of conversions, different types of people that come to Jesus at different seasons of their life. Paul was not the guy that you hear of that was down and out and had hit rock bottom and had no other options and went, oh, but now I need Jesus, right? And that's fine. That's a lot of people, like a lot of people I know, that's where they came to Jesus. Their, 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 their loved ones died or they were addicted to this or they were, you know, homeless. Or they were, and, and they were like, I need something, right? That's not Paul's to- story. That's not his testimony, right? Paul's going along and he's obeying God's law. He feels blameless. He feels like he's on top of his game, but there's no faith. He's got so much obedience to the law and so much just strict following of it that that there's no reliance on God. And if you don't rely on God, then you you don't have faith. Faith is actually relying on God, trusting him. And so Paul then used his religion. He used this this sort of self-righteousness to then persecute the church, he says. That when these new people came along and said, oh, we just need Jesus, he said, no, no. Not just, no, but no, I'm going to throw you in jail. No, I'm going to ransack your house. No, you're going to be put to death. We see in Acts him standing by as they, as they stone Stephen, as they martyr him, as they kill him. And it says he's standing by approving. Paul was a persecutor of God's church because he felt self-righteous, because he felt good about himself with the things he was doing. And, and I thought this this week, God just kind of put this phrase in my mind, and I'll share it with you guys. That this is what religion does. That religion is when we cling so tightly to something that God has used in the past that we in turn use it to beat up the people who are currently experiencing a move of God. And that's what Paul was doing. The law was not evil in and of itself. The law was created by God to set his people apart, to make them holy, to make them different than the nations around them. So he could draw all people unto himself. He set the law up. So that it would point to Jesus. So that we would realize our need for a savior. So that we would see, man, being perfect is impossible and so I need a savior. Paul missed that. Guys like Paul missed that. They thought, the harder I try, the better I am, the closer I'll be to God. They didn't get the point. And so they then used it to persecute those who were experiencing the grace of God in that day and age. And I'll say this hasn't changed. This continues to happen throughout history. So... The Jews were then persecuting the early church. But later on, the church grew and it got structured and it got systematic. And, and what happened was it lost sight of God and it lost sight of what he wanted to do. And so then God raised up more people. We call them the reformers, guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and a lot of other guys during that time. And they, they began to say, you know what? No, people need access to the word. They need to be able to read the Bible for themselves. They need to not just rely on a priest. And what happened was the church that had existed for a while began to persecute them. Right? But the reformers aren't off the hook. They begin to persecute others when they rose up like the Anabaptists and others, if you study church history. And this has happened over and over throughout history, is that God does some work amongst his people. And what happens is people begin to cling so tightly to the system that they, they, they lose sight of the people that that system was supposed to reach. And so that's what Paul's experiencing. He, he's perfected this obedience-based religious system So much so that there's no reliance on God. And so what did God do to Paul? If we we had time, we would go to Acts 9. I'll I'll just sum it up. Paul was at the top of his game. He's persecuting the church. He's following God's law. And Christ comes and knocks him off his donkey. Could have used a different word. Decided not to. uh, Blinded him and said, stop what you're doing and follow me. Right? Paul, Paul is not looking for Jesus at this point. Right, he's not a seeker in my mind. He's not he's not that guy that we're like, "Oh, he's so close. You know, he's right there." Like he is literally going against what God is doing, and God shows up and he smacks him off his donkey and he blinds him and then he's like, "Go to this town, wait for me. I'm going to do do something new in your life." So Paul has to go wait. Like he's blind now. He's blind. And the guys around him didn't didn't hear Jesus. So they're like, "What happened?" And he's like, "You didn't you didn't uh okay. Just take me to the city, lay me down. I'm, I'm useless now. Like I can't go around persecuting the church cause I can't, I can't even see him. Uh, and, and so God wrecks Paul's perfect little world in order to save his soul and use him for the saving of many other souls. And as I was reading this, I was thinking in our life, in your life, is there something God may need it to destroy in order to save your soul or, or in order to get you to that place where he can use you to reach others? Is there something you're holding so high? Holding on to so tightly. Do you have your own system of working your way to God? Some religion of your own. You you might say, no, 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 I don't. But I can can look at people and I can tell you from conversations I've had that religion is thriving today. Just like it was 2,000 years ago, just in different forms. So you'd say, well, you know, I'm a good father and a good husband and I work hard. and, and, And you know what? That's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. I'm active in my community and I do good things for those in need and, and I'm generous. It's, it's rubbish if you're not relying on Jesus. I attend church. I'm on the life team. I lead a ministry. I have a small group. I've been to 401. If you aren't relying on Jesus and you think that that stuff makes you good, it's rubbish. It's garbage. It's useless. Paul has some strong words here. Let's, can we just have some, some real talk about this word rubbish he keeps using? Or I keep using, I'm quoting him. He says rubbish or garbage. Uh, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. Um, that word rubbish is poorly translated, uh, to say the least. So that, that, word, that word, some translations say garbage. Some say rubbish, refuse. Some of the older versions, like King James, say dung. Right. So we get a little bit closer with that word dung. So let's camp out there for a second. Things you didn't expect to hear at church today. Uh, so, so that word, um, I'll just come on. So if I were to say crap from stage, that's like some people are offended by that. This is worse than that word. We'll just go there, right? It rhymes with hit, and that, I'll leave it at that. You can write it in your notes. Um, Michael asked me if I had any blanks this week. I said, can I, can I have a blank that just says, what curse word did Paul use in the Bible? And just put a blank and have everyone guess. Michael said no. Uh, so, um, so I'm not going to use it, because here's how I feel. Is Paul wrote a lot of letters, and he preached a lot of sermons, and he did a lot of work for the kingdom of God. And in all of that work, he cursed once. So I feel like every preacher gets to curse once maybe, and I'm saving mine. Because I don't know, like I didn't feel like this was my time yet. Um, so I'm saving that. So one day, you know, maybe not here, but one day somewhere. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. Anyway, uh, so he, uh, he uses that word. He uses that word. He says, our righteousness is that. It's a pile of that. And you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's offensive. Why would Paul say it? He wanted to shock his readers. I study, it's the only time this word's used in the Bible. And when you look at literature from that time period, it's rarely used because it was an offensive word. It was a cuss word. People didn't just go around saying it all the time. And he says, that's what our righteousness is like. But this isn't abnormal. If you look... In the Old Testament, there's a prophet who, who, in my opinion, uses just as bad a terminology for our righteousness. It's Isaiah 64. It's not on the screen, but he says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Some of you guys know that verse. Let let me again just take it, you know, let me just go over that line that I probably shouldn't go over. But um, in Isaiah's day. when a a woman was having her time of the month, couldn't go to the store and buy Tampax or whatever. So they use rags. And so that phrase, filthy rags, that's what that means. It means equivalent to use tampons, right? And so here's some comparisons in the Bible. When you try to work your way to God, when you try to come up with your own system and say, if I do this and this and this and this, then I'm good. God says through the Holy Spirit in his word, he says, no, that's a pile of, stuff or he said that's like a bunch of used tampons that's no good like there's no use in that and you say man that's gross that's offensive that's the point because when we when we try to earn our way to god it's offensive to god god is offended by that He says, what are you doing my righteousness is free it's a gift you can have it through jesus christ i heard this i heard this analogy from a a pastor like matt chandler he said When we try to earn our way to God, it's like a man working overtime to pay a mortgage that he doesn't owe. Can you imagine this? A guy coming home and and his wife's like, hey, you know, the kids baseball games tomorrow and whatever. No, I got to do I got to do a 16 hour day. I got to get that OT. I got to pay that mortgage. And she's like, baby, we don't have a mortgage. And he's like, oh, we got all these bills. They're stacking up. I got to get that money. I got to put in my time. I got to work hard. And she's like, we don't have any bills. That's what it's like when we're trying to earn our, our righteousness, when we're trying to earn our salvation. We can't earn it. It is free. And when we try to earn it, it's like, what are you doing? It's free. It's right there. Why are you missing out on life? Why are you stressing out? Why are you beating yourself up when it's free, when it's available to you? Why would you do that? Like, we would all say, that guy's crazy. Like, why are you missing your kid's ball game to work a 16-hour day when you don't have a mortgage to pay on? But that's what it's like when we are trying to work our way to God when we're trying to earn our own righteousness. And here's my test for this. If you want to say, well, do I do this in my life? How do you respond to God when you sin? Ask yourself that question. What do I do when I sin? Because we all sin. Don't, don't sit there and go, well, I don't, yeah. No, we all sin. We all screw up. I, I, I guarantee that. When you do, not if you do, but when you do, what's your response to God? If your default is to run from God, to think, man, I need to do some good things before I come back to him. I need to read 10 chapters of the Bible. I need to fast lunch. Maybe once I get back to church this Sunday, then I'll feel good with God again. That's religion. That's not what Jesus died for. It's not what he came and shed his blood for. It wasn't so that you could earn your way back to him every time you screw up. If when you sin, you run to God. And you say, I'm sorry. And you embrace his forgiveness. Not that you don't regret it. Not that you don't have some remorse or, or grief. The Bible says that, that godly sorrow brings us to repentance. But that you embrace his forgiveness right away. You don't feel like you need a time out before you come back to God. That he's there, right there, right then, in that moment. And you could turn to him. Like you could sin and turn to him. and say, God, I, I'm sorry. I screwed up. Just now. Like a second ago. And God is not going, no, go to go to, your, go to the corner. Like some of us experienced that maybe as kids. That's not God's style. He doesn't say, go to the corner. I'm not talking to you right now. That's not God's love. God's love is free. God's righteousness for us is free. But does Paul check out there? Does he think that just because we have grace, we get to do whatever we want and not care and just, eh, whatever? No, that's the other pitfall. And so I want to... Skip down. If you have your Bible, go to verses 18 and 19. This isn't a different thing, but it's really the other side of the same coin. I, w- I want to look at this in Philippians 3:18 and 19. Paul says this, For many of whom I often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. People who are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, they're not, they're not Christians. They're not spending eternity with Jesus. Okay? I just want to be real there. Neither are the religious and those who think they have to earn their way to God. They don't, they don't accept his righteousness, but both need to repent and trust God. Paul says here that their God, little g, is their belly. Or their appetite. Every time I read this, I kind of chuckle because I think, what would Paul say if he could see our culture? (laughs) Right? Like, let me just give you some some picture of what Paul's day and age was. Um, There was no preservatives, there was no refrigeration, there was no way to have a Twinkie or a Ho Ho or a Snickers bar or a Hot Pocket. Like, those things didn't exist. There was no McDonald's or Burger King, none of that. Here's what people probably were eating was food that they grew in their backyard or bought at a farmer's market. Animals that they raised and killed and and butchered up themselves that day, probably. Or stuff they bought at a market. Like if we shopped and ate how they ate, like we'd be like, yes, we're so healthy. You know, organic, local grown, you know, whatever. They indulged enough. They overdid it enough in that day and age that Paul said their God is their belly. That's what they're obsessed with. It's what they get to eat and how they get to fill their stomachs. And I think, gosh, if he could see America, like, I just feel like he would die. I feel like Paul would have a heart attack. Like, he would like, like, just go down. Like, like, he wouldn't be able to, he would be like, oh, Philippians, you guys are doing so good. Like, you, you haven't seen this place called America. Um, but seriously, I, I get on the soapbox a lot when I preach, but man, our health is important to God. And when we ele- elevate, you know, indulging and overdoing it, it becomes a God to us. It takes the place of Jesus in our heart. And so is it just physical hunger? No, I think that this, this word belly, again, sometimes translated appetite. We can, we can look at other appetites in our life and say, am I putting those things above my affection for God, my spiritual appetite? So, so things like emotional appetite. We talked last week a lot about selfies. You know, look at me, look at me. Do we put that above? Finding our worth in God. Our sexual appetite. Because in today's culture, God forbid you be defined by Jesus than your sexual desires. Entertainment appetite. And I'll just say this, how much time and money and effort do we sink into entertainment versus knowing Jesus Christ and embracing his love and spending time with him and, and enjoying him? And I don't say that to shame anyone because I'm right there with you. It's so easy, right? Like, it's so easy to just veg out and just feel at the end of a day or at the beginning of it, like, I just need to relax. I just need this me time. And then three hours later, you're like, what am I still watching TV for? Um, I, I, I'm with you guys on this because I was thinking, you know, last year I was on this, this god-awful schedule of working three to midnight. And I got home and nobody would be awake, but I would be really awake. And there was, like, nothing to do. And it's hard to, like, do something serious or work on anything, because it would be loud. So I'd watch TV. And so I started watching um, uh, Doctor Who, right? Anybody like Doctor Who? <laughs> all right, good, sweet. So so you guys will understand my pain. Uh, so uh, so I started watching Doctor Who, and at first I watched, you know, some of the stuff uh, in the uh, first season of the newer stuff, and I didn't like it. I was like, this is dumb. And uh, came back to it later and watched the newer stuff with Matt Smith, who's the best. And uh, and I was like, this is awesome. And I just, just barreled through it, binge watched that over like a week or two. I was like, this is great. And I was like, well, now i got to watch something, David Tennant. So I went back and watched all of his stuff on Dr. Who. I was like, he's great too. Then I went back and watched the season with the guy I didn't like just because I wanted to find out more. Then I started watching stuff from like the 60s and 70s, and I've been just burning through that stuff. Here's the point of that, right? Whatever appetite you feed, that appetite will grow. And it wants more. And it won't stop. Now, now Doctor Who, that's a dumb, kind of silly example. with a TV show. But the more I watched of it, the more I wanted to watch of it. And maybe you've done that with another show, Lost, 24, or something else. I don't know. And those are old shows now. But uh, sorry. Um, whatever. The more you feed an appetite, the more it will grow. And this happens with food. This happens with sex. This happens with entertainment. The more you feed it, the more you indulge in it, the more it will grow. And so all I can say on that point is that we should be feeding our spiritual appetite. We should be feeding our love of Jesus. We should be feeding our affection of Christ. That, that the more we feed that, the more we'll want him. The more we'll desire him. The more he'll be able to work in our life. That's not religion. That's not us earning our way there. It's just a fact that if we embrace Jesus and we spend time with him and we, we sink our lives into him, it'll grow. It'll grow. Jesus says, whatever you sow, that's what you'll reap. I now have a sonic screwdriver on my keychain. I sewed into Dr. Who. <laughs> I reaped Dr. Who. Sorry. Uh, so he, he then says, um, he says this. He says he, uh, that the people glory in their shame. And this, again, sounds like today. I don't know how many of you guys read the news, but I feel like it's pretty weekly basis that some celebrity is on the headline of some news site, and it says they released a sex tape, sometimes on accident. Accident, right? Like, how many don't raise your hands, but how many have accidentally released a sex tape to everybody, right? Like, that's not real. Like, when I see that, I'm like, yeah, they accidentally did that. Whoops, uh, oh, I accidentally sold the rights to a movie company. It's out online now. Whoops, I don't know how that happened. Um, or, or some rapper, you know, they're like, hey, you wrote this song about beating women, and then they're like, yeah, it's artistic, and they're defending it, they're glorying in shameful things. They're celebrating things that should should be shameful, should make them feel bad, but they don't. And that's the culture we live in. Don't get sucked into that. Don't. And Paul says all of this is because those people have set their minds on earthly things. So what's the solution? Because really these are the two pitfalls is that we could fall over here into religion and think, oh, I just got to earn my way to God. If I just do one, two, three, four, then I'll be there and, and God will love me. And, and I can't be with him if, if, I'm, if I'm sinful, if I'm dirty. And then over on this side, it's like, I don't care, whatever, I'll do whatever I want. I'll feed my appetites and my desires and what I want to do and, and forget God. Or, or maybe, you know, God's going to just have to forgive me. He's just going to have to. Both of those are wrong. Paul, Paul says both of those are wrong. So what do we do? What's the one thing that could keep us from slipping into both of those? Go to Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 12. Paul says this. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfect. I love Paul's attitude here. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love that. Jesus has made me his own. That's so cool. Uh, Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own. But one thing I do. this This is the secret. This is what you guys need to get in your hearts. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's advice is this, is that we need to forget the past and strain toward what's ahead. And something I always took this as, if you're on the side over here of sin and, and shame, and hey, I'll do whatever I want, you think, yeah, I'd love to forget my past. I'd love to forget that. But Paul's writing this passage right after he just said he was blameless in the law. That's his past. and He's saying, forget that. It's worthless. It's nothing. I'm going to forget it. I'm going to move on from that. And so, no matter which side of that kind of scale you're on, if you're way over here in religion and you think, "Man, I've I've lived a good life, and I went to a WANA camp, and I, you know, memorized scriptures as a kid, and went to VBS, and da da da," or if you're over here and you're like, "Man, this is the first time I've been to church, and everything I've done is probably in the sin book, if we pulled, if there was a sin book," uh, Paul says, "Both of them, both of them need to forget what is behind them." and move forward to what's ahead in Jesus Christ. And it's not just religion. At this point in his life, Paul has planted churches, done miracles, preached to thousands upon thousands, and written many letters. And he doesn't say, I forget all the bad things. He doesn't say, I forget all the embarrassing things. I forget all the things I don't want to brag about. He says, I forget all things. Everything that lies behind me, it's in the past, it's done. I'm going to move forward to what Jesus Christ has in my future. And I think that's, that's key because I think when you read Paul's letters, you'll notice he doesn't typically brag about the things he's done. You know what I mean? Like he, he prayed in Acts. He prayed for a guy who had fallen out of a window and died, and the guy got up and lived. That's not in any of the epistles. If I was Paul, that would have been the opening to every epistle. Like, just so you guys know, I, I raised a guy from the dead. Like, just so we have some credentials for this letter, Right. He doesn't do that. He, it's in the past. He's moved on. There's something better ahead. There's something new ahead. There's some uncharted territory, somewhere that God wants to take and that he has not yet been. And the only way he'll get there is by forgetting what lies behind. And that's tough. Sometimes we want to hold on to the past. I think sometimes we want to cling to the past because we, we sort of make it better than it really was. And this is exasperated in our culture by Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all these things that help us look back at things and make them look better than they were, right? Like we put filters and, and all these things on them, and then they look better than they were. And so I know there's days where I'll look at a picture and go, that's such a good picture, but that was a really crappy day. You know, like that was really bad. I just happened to get a good picture out of it. I remember last year uh, I was with some friends. We went running, and one of the friends got sick, right? And they spent the rest of the run in the bathroom. OK, they ran like a quarter mile and then spent the rest in the bathroom. But during that quarter mile, they had taken a picture. They posted it to Instagram later. They were like running outside. It's a beautiful day. It's so magical. Oh. And I was like, you were in the bathroom the whole time. That's a total lie. Like, but a year from now, 10 years from now, if they see that picture, they're like, oh, that, that was such a night. Nice, that was so beautiful because they'll probably forget all the stuff. Right? It's instant nostalgia. Like we, we get nostalgic about things that happened last week, and we're like, oh, it was so much better back then. And, and on a big scale, sometimes we do this with important things. We're like, man, if I could just get my marriage back to how it was when we were newlyweds. Man, if, when I was in my early 20s, I had no responsibility. That was awesome. Now I have kids and a job and all this stuff, and it was just so much easier back then. Or, oh, man, remember when our kids were cute and not annoying. And, uh if I could just get back to my college body, right? Like if I could just play football like that, Kevin probably couldn't even touch my knee. If I could, that's a joke about our pastor. If, if you don't get it, listen to almost any sermon he's preached in the past year. Uh, so I was, I was telling my wife, I do this. I do this spiritually too. I'll say, man, back then it was so much easier to just have those long quiet times. Or man, I had less distractions back then. And so I seem to be able to pray longer or harder, fast more often. Or, you know, man, I, when I was 18, 20, I could run on like four hours sleep and get tons of stuff done. And now four hours sleep, I, I feel like I'm about to die. Um, man, and, and Paul would say, forget it. Forget that stuff. It is over. You'll never get it back. Move forward because Christ has something in your future. He has a purpose ahead of you that you haven't accomplished yet. And if you get stuck wishing, man, I just want to get back there where it was easier, where it was better. Well, one, it wasn't, but two, you'll never get back there. We have to move forward. So I want to wrap up with this story. How many of you guys know the story of the prodigal son? I feel like this illustrates my point really clearly. Um, In the prodigal son, if you don't know it, there's a father and he has two sons. And the one son works hard and and obeys his father and obeys his commands and does what he wants. And the other son says, you know what? I don't like this. And he says, dad, just give me an early take on my inheritance. I'm cashing out my 401k early. Give it to me. I'll take the hit. I'll leave. So he takes the money and he goes and he lives in, in just dark, sinful life that he can. So he's, he's, in drunkenness and he's with prostitutes and he's partying and he's doing all this stuff until he just burns out and eventually runs out of money and becomes goes and works at a pig farm it says and so he's in the mud he's in the slop he literally gets jealous of the pig's food and he's like i wish i just had some of that so he's eating pig's food and, and he thinks you know what i'll go back to my father and on his way back he thinks but my father won't love me so maybe he'll just take me in as a slave I'm so shameful, I'm so sinful, I'm so dirty. Dad could not take me back as a son. He, he can't love me, right? And so we have these two sons and what happens is the dad, the dad embraces him with open arms, throws a party for him and celebrates his return and shows his love to him. The other son who's been obeying all along and, and been following the commands of the father, he gets jealous and mad. He's like, why didn't I ever get a party? And the father says, you know what? You could have had a party whenever you wanted. I love you. So you have one son whose past is full of just moral decay, uh, of sin, of, of dark times. And this cause, his past caused him to think that the father wouldn't love him. And the other one is full of strictly obeying the father's commands. And this caused him to feel like the father owed him something. And like the father wasn't good enough for him. Both needed to forget their past. Both needed to move forward and embrace the father's love today. And embrace for what he had for them tomorrow. So as we wrap up here, I want you to think, where are you on that scale? Are you are you in the middle? Are you embracing God's love day in, day out, and you're going after him? Or are you fall, have you fallen into one of these traps? Have you thought, man, I'm too shameful, too sinful to come to God? Or have you thought, man, I'm, I'm too good. I'm already there. Everything's great. If you're in either of those camps, you're not with God. God doesn't reside in religion, and he doesn't reside in sin. And so today is the day to move on from your past and to embrace God and to move forward with Him. So I want everyone just to bow their heads for just a moment. We do this every week. And if you're on either side of this, you're saying, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I have religion or I have sin or I have whatever, but I don't have Jesus. What you're talking about, I know I don't have that. If that's you and you want to have that today, you want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. No one's looking around. I just want you to put your hand in the air right now and say, That's me. I want to know Jesus today. Okay? So we're going to pray. We do this every week. We're going to pray. And just repeat after me here say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I repent of my religion. I acknowledge you as Lord of my heart, come in, clean me up, make me yours forever, in Jesus' name, and just keep your head bowed for just a moment, if you are a Christian, but you feel like you've fallen into one of these traps, you feel like, you know what, if I just look at my daily routines, I've fallen into religion, because it happens, it's a temptation, guys, it's not something that we get perfect if you say, man, I've fallen into religion or, or you say, man, I, I've, I've started abusing grace and I've kind of fallen into that, doing whatever I want. If you're in either of those categories, I just want you to put your hand up. I just want to pray for you. That's it. Yeah, a lot of people. And I'm with you guys. This is, this is not something that we perfect. This is something that throughout our life, we need to check in on. We need to always be checking in. Am I falling into religion? Am I falling into sin? Am I, am, am I getting away from God's righteousness? Let me just pray for you. Jesus, I pray for freedom over our church, Lord for those who are, are, are falling into religion, who are stuck in that trap of thinking they could earn their way to you, I pray that you would just, just destroy that, Lord, that you would show them that that will not earn your love, will not earn your grace, will not earn your righteousness, but that only you can give it to them, Lord, freely. And those who've fallen into sin and there's shame and there's regret, Lord, I pray that you would free them from that. Lord, I pray for just a renewing, Lord, and just a freedom in their hearts. And they would know that you love them, God. And they would, they would stop running from you and run towards you when there's sin in their heart, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. We love you. And we thank you for the free gift that you give us through Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.